I was encouraged in the week to receive um, a Facebook message from a former member of the church who, um, whose life circumstances have taken him away, um, but he sent a message um, to me to say things are going well and that he still connects with the church by listening again. So if you're listening again, um, then welcome, and it's great that you still feel connected in to what's happening here, and we want to continue to welcome you. Jeff, can we throw up um, the gospel value slide for me? Thank you. We have a set of values as a church community um, that we subscribe to. We haven't visited them for a little while, but it occurred to me that they're particularly relevant to the Old Testament series we're currently exploring, particularly two values uh, which I wanted to um, draw on. It all starts with the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ underpins all that we do. And when we sing glory and honour and we speak of a king, uh, we speak of King Jesus. And the good news underpins all we are and all we do. And secondly, um, prayer underpins all that we do. Um, It's really important to us as a church and at various points in our history we felt called back um, to prayer um, when we faced big events or challenges. And so prayer is vital. And around April, around the time of the annual meeting, I was reading the following scripture from Matthew's Gospel. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes in torrents and the floodwaters rise and the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it's built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rain and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. And I became convinced that there was something, of course there's something, but there's something particular in these verses for our church right now. And I believe that something is a need to build. And what I'm talking about is not the extension um, to the building, um, to build a temple like Solomon's, if only, um, but to build foundations that underpin our life together. And and I don't know, um, Ian Jarvis probably knows and John probably knows, but um, I think there's a prescribed depth that you are supposed to have when you build new homes. I think it's around a metre of concrete or something like that. Um, But you're meant to have solid uh, foundations on which you build what goes on top of it. And I wonder if, um, as a church, we are, we are as committed in prayer as we should be, that our foundations are sinking deeply enough into, um, into the river, into the life in Christ, as the psalmist um, puts it. So before we go on, can we just um, pause and pray as a church community that our foundations would be in Christ and sustained in prayer? Let's just pray into that uh, for a moment. Father, we thank you for the fellowship we have with each other and with you. We thank you for gathering the church this morning. We thank you for those people connected with this church um, who can't be here today but are still part of this family. We thank you, Lord God, that you have led us on a journey from a handful of people meeting in a waiting room to a larger church, a larger body of people gathered in this place and in other places around Camborne. And so we pray, Lord, seek our, sink our roots deep into the life of the Spirit and into the life you call us to lead. Help us to have firm foundations 
so that all we build and all we do would be in your name and at your leading. Amen. Well, we're into week three of our Old Testament series, where we're looking at the story of the people of Israel, God's people. And in week one, we looked at a country settled and explored the leadership of Moses and Joshua. Last week, we looked at the establishment of David's kingdom, and we reflected on what true kingship is all about. And if you haven't been present for the last two weeks, both talks are on Listen Again, and I'd encourage you because they kind of build one on the other. This week, we reach a critical point. In fact, not so much a point, but a split. The people of God have thus far been one people as one nation. But now we'll see them split into Israel and Judah. The actual split happens in the following chapter, in 1 Kings chapter 12. But this morning we're focusing on chapter 11. But first, can I just repeat that in order that we might remember two of the truths uh, we discovered thus far, I'm just going to remind us um, of some of the things I've been saying. Firstly, that God keeps his promises. God is faithful. And we've seen that in promises to Abraham and David, God has been true to his word. Secondly, we are called to be God's people, living in God's place and under God's rule. And I, for one, find it reassuring as we look at the characters of people in these stories um, that God continues to build his kingdom through flawed people until that time when the true king, King Jesus, will come in all his fullness. And it strikes me as we've gone through this series that this series of reflections could so easily have been a teaching on what biblical leadership is all about as we look into the lives of Moses, Joshua, Saul and David and now this week Solomon, we witness the consistent message that human leadership is about faithfulness to God. And in Kings we see the movement from united kingdom to divided kingdom, resulting in different things, territories and identities for Israel in the, in the north and Judah in the south. And as we saw with Joshua in week one, the events we have been exploring in the Old Testament begin, have their origin in the promise of God to Abraham and Jacob, the patriarchs, in the book of Genesis. So in Genesis 35 and verse 11, we read these words. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and increase in number. A nation and a community of nations will come from you, and kings will be among your descendants. Remember at the start of the series, I gave you two words to sum up the whole of the Bible, perhaps a tad ambitious. But I gave you the promise of the Old Testament, shown in the promise of Abraham and Jacob, um, that kings would come from them, and to David, that his dynasty would last forever. And the fulfilment, promise and fulfilment of the New Testament, as all the promise of the old finds its fulfilment in King Jesus. And also as the kingdom is fully revealed, we get a glimpse of it in the book of Revelation. Another key point is that Joshua, Samuel and uh, Kings are referred to, as um, um, Steve pointed out, as history books in the Old Testament 
But of course, the time span they cover is so vast that it's impossible to chronicle all the events of the time span they cover in, in, in these couple of books. They cover, so the events of kings, for example, one and two kings, cover a period of something like 500 years. So whilst these books are indeed histories, they are not complete chronological records of everything that happens. So what do they do? Well, they tell us the story of God, of a God who is alive and active. And our histories might not be, in fact, they won't be those of David and Joshua and Solomon, but our lives, um, both historically and currently, like the characters we've been studying, show the active presence of God. So I asked you last week, and I asked you, and I'm going to ask you again this week, where in your lives over the past seven days have you been aware of God's presence and involvement? In what decisions or thought processes or encounters with others or activities have you seen or been aware of God's presence prompting you, guiding you, leading you into a place of encounter with God as you encounter others? Because he will have been there, present with you, alive and active in your history. And as I prepared this talk, I came across a couple of verses in 1 Kings chapter 2. And you might want to turn to that passage if you've got your Bibles open. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 2 and verses 2 to 4. This is David speaking. I'm about to go the way of all the earth, he said. So be strong, act like a man, and observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me. If your descendants watch how they live, And if they walk faithfully before me with all their heart and soul, you will never fail to have a successor on the throne of David, on the throne of Israel. And I found myself quite moved uh, by these verses. I'm now a father, and reading these verses, I found myself wondering in a way which hopefully is neither dramatic or morbid, what I would say to my daughter if I was dying. I've had the immense privilege as a minister and hospital chaplain of being present with families in their final hours and minutes of a loved one's life. And I've heard their final words to each other. And what we see in these verses is David, aware of his imminent death, giving some last words of advice to his son Solomon. And this is essentially what he is saying. Be faithful to God and lead in such a way that your kids... And your people might be faithful to him too. So can I ask you another question to reflect on? What do you want and desire for your children as they grow up? And let me throw out a challenge. Are those of us with the responsibility of raising children, and that might not be as as parents, it might be as godparents or as members of a church family, are we who have the responsibility of raising children, modelling faithfulness to God? I'm quite nervous about sharing this story, but um, I'll share it anyway. You might think me crazy or crazier um, when I say this, but in the weeks leading up to Izzy's baptism... I had the habit of telling her every day um, that she was an inheritor of the kingdom of God. 
And over and over again, I, I would say to Izzy, you know, you are an inheritor of the kingdom of God. David urges his son Solomon to model that kingdom. Do you know, I don't want my daughter to choose her own faith in life. I want to model God's kingdom sufficiently that she grows up to know and love the Lord with all her heart and soul and mind and strength. That's my desire uh, for Izzy. And I want us to be a church community which is serious about discipling our children and young people so that they may grow into the full inheritance of the kingdom of God. Lord, may it be so. And as we turn to 1 Kings chapter 11, it's worth observing that the tone has changed. If, um, if you just flick to um, 1 Kings 8 for a moment, and we're just going to glance at this um, passage in 1 Kings 8. We're not going to read through it. But here in chapter 8, we find Solomon on completion of the building of the temple. We find him praying a dedication prayer. Um, so that the temple would be the place where the Ark of the Covenant, the symbol of God's presence with his people, would, would, would be placed. Um, and we find Solomon, a kind of spiritual giant, articulating his love for the Lord um, and his focus on the things that God has called him to do. So now if you want to roll on to 1 Kings chapter 11, we find a contrast. Let's look at the opening verse. On a hill east of Jerusalem, Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the detestable god of Moab, and for Molech, the detestable god of the Ammonites. He did the same thing for all his foreign wives who burned incense and offered sacrifices to their god. There's a really important point here, which is that we, like Solomon, have the seasons of praise in our lives where we've achieved or things have gone our way and we're full of praise and focus and thanksgiving to our God. Likewise, there are seasons of our lives where we find particularly disruptive or challenging, where things compete for our focus and attention on the Lord. There are seasons to our life. And in those challenging seasons, it's important that we try to find our way back to the Father. But it's even more important that in our wandering, in our unfaithfulness, in our disbelief, we hold on to this truth, that God keeps his promise, that God is faithful. So Solomon has erected shrines to pagan gods, and he set them on high places. And not only has Solomon done this for the pagan gods who have lured him, but he's done the same for his many wives. And in verse 9, we read of the Lord's response to Solomon's idolatry. The Lord is angry. The Lord is angry because Solomon's heart has turned from him. There's some tough preaching in these passages for us today, which is that God is a jealous God who wants our heart and our focus on him. And the warning of these scriptures is that God wants our hearts to be united and focused on him, not divided and focused on many things. That's where Solomon goes astray. God wants your hearts. He wants to be present in your life, not in a controlling manner. He wants your heart. And so many times throughout the scriptures, we are given advice about protecting the heart. So in Proverbs chapter 4, we read, Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. 
In Matthew chapter 6, we read, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in Joel, we read, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, and he relents from sending calamity. And part of the Lord's anger in this passage is that he has appeared to Solomon twice in person. Solomon has had that experience of meeting the Lord face to face on a number of occasions. And still he has chosen to go astray. And so whilst the promise remains, God divides the kingdom. And if you flick your eyes to verses 11 through 13, Jeroboam emerges and rebels against Solomon. And the tribes and the kingdom are being removed from him. Adversaries are plenty, are presenting themselves. And in the next chapter, we see uh, the kingdom of Israel divided in two. This is a chaotic time, and it started with a heart which was divided, not holy for God. But in order that God's promise to Abraham, Jacob, and David might be fulfilled, one tribe will remain with Solomon. And in the midst of the kingdom falling down around him, there is a beautiful sign in this passage, in verse 36, that even in the chaos of our lives, God keeps his promise. God is faithful. And that sign is a lamp. And as I was thinking about speaking this morning, I had in my head that, that mental imagery of um, coming back into uh, on a plane, um, onto a runway and as you um, uh, are on the final approach you see the lights of the runway guiding you in and I just had this image of a plane coming in to land being guided by the lights and for Solomon there is this light in Jerusalem a lamp which is burning a sign of God's faithfulness and uh, a reminder that God keeps his promises that God is faithful but more than just a sign and a reminder, an invitation to his people that there is always light in the midst of chaos, that the light overpowers the darkness, and that the lamp burning in Jerusalem, the home of the temple and of the ark, that God is present in the midst of the calamity that sometimes besieges our lives, drawing us home to him. Difficult teaching for us, Especially if you know that your heart this morning is divided. If, like Solomon, you have let other influences uh, be a point of focus in your life alongside the Lord. And sometimes it's, it's our role as a church community to call out these challenges um, for our lives. It's also our role as a church community to stand with each other in prayer and to, in love, support each other so that our focus may be wholly on the Lord our God. There is a lamp burning which draws us back. Let's pray together. Let's just keep a few moments of silence. Only you know your own lives and only you know your own hearts. 
except that's not true because God knows them too. Let me just spend a few moments reflecting in silence on where your heart is this morning. Father, help us to desire nothing other than your love and your life. Heal our hearts and make them clean. Open up our eyes to the things unseen. Help our hearts, Lord, to be devoted to you. And when in our sin and brokenness, Lord, we feel that actually you're not enough, give us a bigger revelation of your love. By your Holy Spirit, convict us of your love, what Jesus did on the cross, and the life in all its fullness that you call us to live in. Make our hearts, Lord, wholly devoted to you. For we ask this in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.